Good morning. We're going to be reading from John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. And in your pew Bibles, it's on page 764 of the New Testament section. And this is where Jesus is continuing his, his teaching the day before his crucifixion. And now he begins to teach on the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Before I uh, get into uh, the teaching on this uh, great passage of uh, Scripture, I wanted to uh, share uh, one glimpse of uh, Matt and my recent trip to, uh, to Burundi. And uh, so we're going to share over the next number of weeks just a, just a glimpse, uh, a highlight or two per week, just to give us all a, a bit of a sense of, as to what's going on and how we as a church are partnering there and what it all means and, and, and how we can move forward. And so I want to share just a little bit of uh, an experience that uh, we call the DNA exchange. It's not as weird as it sounds, and uh, I try not to go there in terms of why they call it that, but um, the DNA exchange, and uh, Rachel, you can throw that first slide up there, that would be great. Um, was uh, really uh, a partnership between these two uh, gentlemen. If you've been around Cornerstone for a while, you know both of them. Uh, the gentleman on the left, uh, the black guy, is uh, Onus Four, And Onus Four has been a partner of Cornerstone for many, many years. He's the, the one who started Harvest for Christ, which is now called Harvest Initiatives. And uh, we've partnered with Harvest for many years. 
Harvest is the organization that runs the site at Moramvia, the outreach to the Batwa people. You'll hear about that in the coming uh, weeks. And Onus 4 uh, has been here three times. So he's preached here three different times. And one time he was here for three weeks. So got to know many of us, visited many of our life groups. And he's a man of incredible godliness, the spirit-filled man of great vision and wisdom. And we just hold him in the highest regard. The other guy there is Doug Hebert, who is a member of us, who belongs to us, and who is living and serving in uh, Burundi, as a, really as a capacity builder coming alongside uh, the church and leaders in the church to develop and mentor, to train. And uh, so Onus 4 has given up leadership of Harvest. He's actually no longer involved in Harvest, has raised up, he's a, he's a man who disciples uh, other young men and women, and who has raised up others who, will now, who now give day-to-day leadership to Harvest. He's now begun an organization called TBNet, Transform Burundi Network, which is a network, a family of churches that would describe themselves as uh, Christ-centered, as gospel-centered, as mission-oriented, as spirit-led uh, churches who uh, preach the Bible, who teach um, the scriptures, faithful to the scriptures. And so it's just uh, incredible. He's uh, many of the young uh, uh, leaders that he is training uh, through TBNet have gone through the Harvest uh, Clubs and the Harvest School of Mission, which we've run at the Moramvia site. You probably remember that from, from past years. And we're starting to really see movement as TBNet and, uh, uh, and uh, Harvest and Cornerstone uh, really are partnering in, we're just seeing a, a huge amount of momentum. And so Onus 4 has two different cohorts of uh, church leaders that he's mentoring. He calls it the Antioch School of, um, of really intense discipleship. Like these, uh, these people who are part of the school are reading each year a binder. It's like this thick at least of really hardcore like material, like uh, deep theology, um, great practical uh, ministry for the church, and so we're just so impressed by uh, by him, and and so he's got a, a, a group that's been with him for two years, and now a group that's been for one year, and uh, and so what they've done is they did is they they gathered together all of these pastors from all around the country. The first cohort uh, is all from Bujumbura, the capital city. the uh, The other cohort is from scattered throughout the country. And they've gathered them together and got a bunch of Mzungus, white guys uh, from Canada, to come together to share together and to create mutuality, to create a togetherness and a oneness to share and learn uh, together. And so here's Doug preaching. Onus 4 is um, translating for him into Karundi. And we had some incredible experiences. It was over a period of three days. We lived together. We literally shared rooms with Burundians. We ate meals together. Uh, we learned together. We had discussion groups together. It was fantastic. We had really great times of worship. The next slide there, I think, is a photo of worship. There's Matt leading with a young man named Hippolyte. We were just so privileged to be able to gift Hippolyte with that guitar. He was just overcome. And he is really a, a worship leader throughout the city of Bujumbura. He's, he he um, leads a ministry uh, at his church for young people, but is also called upon in many other churches to to teach on worship. And he has a, a really rich theology of worship, just a uh, a bright light of a young man. Some of you know him. The, the worship team 
A number of years ago, a worship team from Cornerstone went and toured around the country. Well, they went with Hippolyte, so a lot of you guys will remember him. Here's a little uh, a video of, uh, of some of our worship. You might m- recognize some of the tune here. So again, really hard to capture the spirit, just it was powerful times. I think we have some better video on Matt's camera uh, that we'll, we'll probably show at some other points uh, of just great worship times. Together we had teaching times, you can go to the next slide there. And uh, so the young man in the white shirt there is uh, Eric, he's a pastor in Bujumbura, he's uh, a graduate of the Harvest School of Mission, has raised up another graduate of the Harvest School of Mission who's a part of his church and is now going to be moving three hours away, actually probably four hours away, to plant a new church. And uh, so real movement. And Eric is sharing his story. And uh, just really incredibly moving story. of he was, um, uh, He's a member of the Antioch School, of course. And, uh, and, and Doug was driving him home week after week after week. And especially during the crisis of a number of years ago. And um, shared afterwards the fact that you know, when he went home, he had no food to provide for his family. He's got three young kids and um, just felt like he wasn't supposed to make that need known. The Lord would provide. The Lord has provided for him. But just just a willingness to suffer uh, for the sake of, of Christ and the ministry, just an inspiring young man. Here, There he is sharing his story. Next slide. Um, I, I had the privilege of, of sharing and just being vulnerable about uh, what what are the challenges that we face as, as Canadians, as uh church leaders in Canada, um, sharing vulnerabilities and weaknesses and, and struggles with sin, and uh, which led into really just an incredible time of repentance t- together as we shared our, our, uh, our weaknesses together, and we were equals at the foot of the cross. Um, and after all of our teaching times, we, uh, next slide, we had uh, circles where it was a, a couple of white guys and a, couple, and a bunch of Burundians, and we, and we shared and we learned together. And we, were, uh, we shared our ideas, shared our experiences, shared from the scriptures uh, together. And we prayed together. Um, that's one of my favorite photos from our entire trip is just this. Uh, that's Tyler Schultz there um, with the black watch. And uh, that's Onus for at the back of his head. But just praying together as groups, seeking the Lord and encouraging one another. It was just beautiful times. Here's my group. Uh, I think that's the next slide. Um, this is the, the group that I spent those three days with. On the left is a man named Eloise. He pastors a church in rural, rural Burundi. Next is Glenn Kuhn from Port Rowan, Ontario. He's a retired pharmacist and church leader. Just an incredible, incredible heart of a man. Uh, the next is a man named Jean de Dieu, John of God. And uh, he pastors a church in rural Burundi. Next is Constantine. Constantine uh, uh, is also a pastor in rural Burundi. He spent, he, he, um, he shared with the group at the end that he spent the, the last of his money just to make it, to pay the fare on the bus just to get here. He felt the Lord calling him, and so we were able to provide his bus fare back. Um, it's the least we could do. Um, but just an, a, a bright young man. Uh, then 
There's me beside me. On the other side is Samuel, who's a pastor in, in Bujumbura. He traveled along with us the, the, pretty much the entire trip. Uh, a really prophetic young man, graduate of the Harvest School of Mission. His church is multiplying. Uh, just an incredible young man. And then the last on the far right is Bernard. Bernard is actually the chaplain at the school at the site in Moravia and is a member of Shama Temple, which is a church you'll hear about probably next week. It's a church we have, Cornerstone has entered into a partnership with to plant a church in the town of Moravia, just two minutes down the road from that Moravia site where the healthcare, the clinic is and the school and um, all the other stuff that's going on there. And Bernard is going to be the church planter uh, on the ground pastoring that church. So there's a glimpse into some of my friends that, and our brothers, and we'll share much more as, uh, as we go along. And in fact, Doug Hebert's going to be here on March something, March 7th, whatever that is. I think it's the March 10 maybe is a Sunday. I forget. Uh, whatever that whatever that Sunday is in and around March 10, Doug's going to be here and uh, we'll share some more as well. And so as we transition to the teaching here from John's Gospel, we're in this section of John's Gospel where Jesus is equipping his disciples to be sent out to scatter like dandelion seeds to carry the DNA of the kingdom all over the earth, to fill the earth with the teaching, with the love of Jesus. And... Uh, John chapter 14 is all about the gifts that Jesus gives us, the, what he sends us with uh, to go out and, um, and, and be his representatives. Um, and the greatest gift necessary to live as people sent out by Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, Jesus keeps bringing him up in this passage. So I just uh, off the top, I don't feel the pressure to have to say everything that there is to say about the Holy Spirit this morning, and I'm just gonna, we're going to focus in on what this passage is teaching. D- Jesus brings up the Holy Spirit two more times in these chapters, and uh, and so we will. Um, I, I can't explore the depth of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in 25 minutes. So if I don't touch on your favorite aspect of the Holy Spirit this morning, please give me grace. Um, but we want to see what Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit this morning in this uh, passage. First, uh, what I want to focus in on is who is the Holy Spirit? Who does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is? And the first uh, point that we need to, to raise is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus makes that clear that the Holy Spirit is not some esoteric force. You know, he's not the force. He's not some mystical, like, power. He's a person. Someone you relate to, someone you can talk with, someone who has characteristics. Five times he refers to the Holy Spirit as he and not it. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, the counselor will be with you forever. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. That's really important because a lot of the teaching I hear uh, these days or a lot of the ways in which some of us even refer to the Holy Spirit, it sounds more like he's some like impersonal force, like from Star Wars or something, right? But, but no, he's a person. He's a person. But he's also God. He's God. 
You know, it's interesting. Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But earlier in this passage, he keeps talking about how he's going away. I'm going away. I'm going away. I'm going away. But I'm going to come to you. Well, how does he come? He comes with through the Holy Spirit. Really, the one who is not me is bringing me to you. Verse 23 says, my father and I will come and make our home in you. We will come and live with you. The way that God is present with us now is with the, through the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you get the Holy Spirit, you get God. When the Holy Spirit lives in you and among you and with you, God is living with you and in you and among you. You see, one of the great questions of the Scriptures is, how is God going to live with and among people who are sinful? And there's these, these great hints, but there's this great overarching question, especially in the Old Testament, is how is God going to live among his people? God who's holy and perfect and, and who's, who's, um, who, who devours sin, who can't be in the presence of uh, anyone or anything that is sinful and rebellious against him, that is unholy, how will God live among his people? You know, when Solomon builds the temple and he's dedicating uh, the temple... Uh, he says in 1 Kings eight twenty seven. he says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I've built. And, but then there's also in the, uh, in, in the Old Testament scriptures, there's these great promises that God will come and live with us. For example, Ezekiel 37, 27, he says, My dwelling place will be with them. I'll be their God. And they will be my people. Or Zechariah 2, verse 10 He says, shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. How is God going to live among his people? Well, it happens in history, right? John 1, verse 14. We know this verse. We've talked about it. I've quoted it quite frequently. The word that is God, the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus and the incarnation of of Jesus, God comes and lives among his people. He moves into the neighborhood. He's got flesh on. But now the, the incarnate one, the incarnate word has departed, but he is sending his Holy Spirit to live in the individual believer. He's taking this a step further. So Jesus, as a man, was limited to a time and space. He could only, he was not in Jerusalem when he was in Galilee. He was either in Galilee or he was in Jerusalem. But now, through the Holy Spirit, God can be present anywhere and everywhere. He's present here in Niagara and he's present in Nicaragua at the very same time. And so, It's just important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit is a person, but he's a divine person, that he is the very presence of God among us. And Christianity is many things. Christianity is propositional truths. It's a worldview. It's a way of looking at the world. It's a a system of truth. It's it's confessions and creeds and moral standards and missionary quests and corporate worship. It's a lot of things. But ultimately what Christianity is is the means by which you get to know God. And by which God can live among you and live with you and be present with you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the counselor do? Um, If you're following along as uh, John was reading uh, the passage, 
And he came uh, in verse uh, uh, 16. He says, I will give you another advocate. If you're following along in a different translation, there's a very good chance there was a different word other than advocate. Maybe it was counselor. Maybe it was helper, comforter. And whenever you come across in Scripture and you have different translations all with, with different words, it's a clue that there's, a, there's an important word, but there's a richness to the word that no one English word can fully convey. The Greek word here is a well-known Greek word for Bible nerds like me, is paraclete. Paraclete, which is a, a word made, made up of, uh, of two, two parts, two root words. The first word is the word kaleo. And kaleo means to, to call, to summon, to declare. It's a very assertive and confrontational word. To, to call out, to confront, to summon you and say, get here. So it's, a, it's a, a, a confrontational and assertive word. But then the word para, para kaleo, para, you know, we, we talk about para church ministries. It's a, a ministries that come alongside the local church. Para means to come alongside. It's a very supportive word. It's a sympathetic word. And so it seems like these, you're, you're putting together two very different things, right? Kaleo, very uh, confrontational, assertive. And para, which is very supportive and sympathetic. And so it, the paraclete, the counselor, not a camp counselor. Don't think camp counselor. Don't think marriage counselor. Think legal counsel. Think legal. That's why advocate is a great word. If in, and uh, the, the Latin translation says advocare, which is a literal translation of advo and care, kaleo and para. Um, so advocate is a great translation. Counselor, legal counsel, a representative, someone who's representing you for you, who stands up for you. Now, there's, there's two kinds of ways in which you can think about a, a, an advocate. You think about an advocate or a counsel, legal counsel as someone who confronts others on your behalf and stands up for you against others the defense attorney. But you can also think of an advocate as someone like a friend of an addict, right? Where you need to have the intervention and where you actually need to confront the person for their own good, confronting you for you, asserting, coming alongside, but asserting and being confront, confrontational against you for you. You catch my drift there where you're where, where, the, where you're actually saying, stop. Look at, look, at where, look at where things are at right now. We want to we turn and, 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 and lead you to paths that are flourishing and paths of wholeness that, that are good and beautiful and true and that are best for you. There's two ways of thinking about a paraclete. as that a defense attorney and as that friend of an addict? So many things the Holy Spirit does. There's many things that he does, right? And we'll talk about some of these in the coming weeks. He exposes sin. He helps us in witness. He strengthens and, and comforts uh, believers by his presence. He reveals to us the significance of Jesus. But one of the things the Holy Spirit does as the counselor is he confronts you for you. He's seeking your good, but he's con- confrontational. He comes alongside you, but he confronts what's within you for your own good. Look at Romans uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 15 and 16. You did not receive 
Paul writes, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. This passage of Romans 8 is evoking a picture of of bearing witness, of really as, a, as expert testimony, as a star witness in a trial. That you're in a trial and you're accused and you're losing. And in your spirit you're afraid and you're, and you're guilty. And in comes the Holy Spirit with expert testimony, as the star witness to say, no, you're God's child. You are loved. You're adopted. You will not be rejected. You may feel guilty, you may feel ashamed, you may feel hurt, you may feel downtrodden. You may feel like a slave to fear, but you are God's son. You are God's daughter. He has adopted you. He is for you. Who can be against you? He gave his own son for you. You are God's child. And he comes and he he argues with you and he bears witness. He, He gives this star witness, expert testimony That you know you are God's child. And he comes and he encourages the downtrodden. Those who are enslaved to fear. Enslaved to guilt. Enslaved to shame. And he comes and says, no, you're loved. You're loved. 1 John 3.20 says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Our hearts can condemn us. We feel like, oh... Again, I messed up. I'm so dirty. I'm so broken. I'm so ashamed. I'm so weak. And our hearts can condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. He confronts you for you. That when your heart accuses you, he comes and he confronts and and he bears witness that you are God's child. So he comes and he confronts you when your heart is accusing you, but also when your heart tempts you. He comes and confronts you when when your heart is faced by temptation, whether you're enticed by by money or illicit sex or power. And, and And you argue with yourself, I can do this, I deserve this, I can ask for forgiveness later. James 4, verse 4 and 5, he says, James says that friendship with the world is, is hatred towards God. And he says, the next verse, verse 5, he says, but the Spirit is envying, envying. he's longing for you with great desire. He, is, he envies intensely for you. He's jealous for you. He's longing for you and he's speaking to you. Don't go there. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. You're not living like you're loved. You're not living like you're a a son or a daughter of the king. And that's why this passage, Jesus says over and over again, who receives the Holy Spirit? Those who love him. Well, those who love him are what? Those who obey his teaching, obey his commandments, who walk in his ways. The Holy Spirit comes and, and he confronts you when we're not walking in his ways, when we're not loving Jesus above all. And he he confronts us and he challenges us and he changes us. And sets us, changes the course of our lives. Over and over and over again. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you'll follow me. So do you have this kind of confrontation in your life? This confrontation when your heart is condemning you. And this confrontation when your heart is tempting you. Do you have that confrontation? 
Are you filled with the Spirit? Well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? The New Testament uh, phrase is used a lot. We throw it around a lot here too. And, but how do you be filled with the Spirit? Being the Spirit is a person. The Spirit's a person. How do you be filled with a person? It's not like going to, you know, driving your car up to the, the, the gas station and filling up the tank, right? With, that's the force. How do you be filled with a person? You, you're filled by a person by listening to them. You're filled with a person by spending time with them and getting to know them. You're filled with a person by talking with them. So if it's the holy work of the Holy Spirit to confront you, to deal with guilt, your guilt, and to deal with your fears, to remind you of his love, and to, to remind you to walk in his ways, what, what's the ammunition that he uses? It's the word of God. Ephesians 6. What is the sword of the Spirit? It's the word of God. What does the Holy Spirit yield in your life? To confront you. It's, his, it's the word of God. It's the scriptures. Hebrews 4 says the scriptures are, the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the, it's the tool that the, the spirit of God uses in your life to confront you for you. He loves to bring the truths of the scripture home to your heart. He loves to bring the truths of the gospel home to your heart to melt your cold and hard heart. To speak to your doubts and your fears and your guilt. To be filled with the Spirit, you need to be filled with His Word. You need to be filled with His Word. And I want to talk just and conclude with uh, just reminding us, this is a, a, an illustration we've used many times at Cornerstone, but I think it's so helpful that the spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit in so many ways is like a spotlight, that He loves to... To not draw attention to himself, but he loves to draw attention to Jesus. You see, when you have a spotlight, the whole point of the spotlight isn't to look at the spotlight. The whole point of the spotlight is to look at the thing that the spotlight is lighting up. And the Holy Spirit loves to light up Jesus. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. Well, what's the truth? Who's the truth? Earlier in this chapter, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I won't leave you without provision and love and a guardian and a helper and a counselor and a protector. I will come to you. Verse 26, he says, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and he will remind you of everything that I've taught you and everything I've done for you. The Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you of who I am. And, for, and most clearly, I think the, the spotlight ministry here is... is Verse 16, he says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another paraclete, another counselor to be with you forever. Now, the, the word another, in English we just use another, but in Greek there's two different kinds of another. There's another of a different kind or another of the same kind. This is another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is a paraclete, another, another paraclete of the same kind. He's the second paraclete. What, who's the first paraclete? Well, John tells us, actually, in, in 1 John 2, verse 1, he says, Little dear children, I write these things to you so that you would not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you do sin, if you sin, there, you have a paraclete with the Father, Jesus the righteous. You have an advocate with the Father, you have legal counsel with the Father. You have that defense attorney. 
So we have both paracletes. We have the friend of an addict who confronts you for you, and we also have that great defense attorney who will confront others on your behalf, who will represent you in the, in the court of law. Now, it's not popular to say these days that we're guilty before a, a, an objective law. Right? Our culture has, um, has, has made guilt very subjective to say that, no, there is no external uh, standard by which you're held. Just you decide for you what's right and wrong. Like, you, you make that up. You figure out what's right and wrong. You, you, and follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Follow your gut. Do what's right for you. And yet we can't shake this feeling that we don't quite measure up. We can't shake that feeling of guilt. We can't shake, even though, yeah, just, I, I get to make my own standard. We still feel like, oh, I can't admit that I was wrong. We can't shake that feeling of guilt. Because we know, we know deep in our deepest part, we have this memory from our very creation. We know that we know that we know that there actually is a standard. And that we don't measure up to it. But we have a defense attorney with the Father. And he has an airtight case. He has an airtight case. He doesn't... He, we're, we're not left in court just saying, Man, I hope I get off. I hope I get let off this time. I, get, I hope the judge lets me off the hook. And gives me another chance. See, Jesus is actually demanding justice. He's not simply at court begging for mercy. He, he's, he's not saying, Hey... Father, remember Kevin? Remember, remember he's promised that he's never going to do that thing again? Well, he's done it again. So would you please just give him one more chance? Find it in your heart to, to give him another shot. No, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Jesus says, he's lied again. He's selfish again. He's proud again. He's arrogant again. And, and he, he, he should be a man of truth. And he should be other-centered. And he should love you above all things. And but Father, I've paid the wages of his sin. I've paid the price. The wages of sin is death, and I have di- died for him. Here's my blood, and it would be unjust of you to demand two payments for one debt. And I've paid it already, so let him go free. He has the airtight case, the paraclete, our first paraclete. He has the airtight case. That's why John can say, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. To forgive us all of our sin. It's not just that he's, he's faithful and gracious and faithful and merciful to forgive us our sin. It's just. It's the right thing for him to do. If Jesus paid your debt, you shouldn't have to pay it again. It would be wrong of God. It would be unjust of God to demand two payments for one debt. Our paraclete has, our first paraclete has an airtight case. And the more you understand the work of the first paraclete, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the more powerful the work of the second paraclete, the Holy Spirit, will be in your life. And so give him ammunition. Learn the gospel. Study the word of God. Give him the freedom to confront you for you. To confront you with good news when your heart condemns you. To confront you with the way of life when you're tempted to go astray. And friends, there's a promise here too. He will be with you forever. Did you catch that? 
we'll give you another paraclete to be with you forever. This is no fading promise. This is no fickle promise. This is not a promise just for you on your best days. This isn't just a promise for Sundays. This is just isn't a promise for the days in which you have it all together. You have a paraclete, the other paraclete. You have that legal counsel forever. On the days where you mess up, the days when you can't get your act together, and the days where you make that mistake again for the thousandth time, and you need to ask for forgiveness again and again and again, he's still with you. He's with you. Would you pray with me? And so, Father, we just praise your name this morning for the work of the two paracletes in our lives. We praise you for the work of Jesus representing us before you, demanding justice on our behalf. How amazing that is. And we praise you for the work of the second paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us and among us, who lives with us and in us and who will go with us forever, wherever we go. And so, Holy Spirit, we don't want to resist you this morning. We don't want to quench you. We don't want to grieve you. We want to be filled with you this morning. And so in the quietness of our hearts, we pray to you, Father, that you would fulfill the promise in Luke 11, where you promised that earthly dads love to give good gifts to their kids, even though they're, they're flawed and even wicked at times. They love to give good gifts to their kids. How much more would the Heavenly Father love to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? And so, Father, this morning we're asking for this work of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us, to confront us, to search our hearts, to lead us in your ways, to speak words of comfort, to speak, to bear witness with our own spirits that we are indeed adopted sons and daughters of God. So Holy Spirit, we want you to be free to move in our presence here now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.